change the world together. Welcome to the Snapcast, the podcast for all nonprofit professionals, bringing you interviews and amazing ideas for nonprofit leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Nonprofit Snapcast. I'm your host, Mickey Desai. Very happy today to be speaking with Ashley Jones, who's the founder and executive director of Love Not Lost. How are you, Ashley? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk about grief today, which I know is a, a, a heavy subject for a lot of people. But um, do you find that talking about grief is always a heavy thing? Not always. No, I mean, I obviously think it depends on where someone is when they're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, if they've experienced a loss recently or maybe a loss that they haven't healed, it can feel heavy. But um, but yeah, I don't think it always has to be heavy. Got it. So let's let's I'm getting ahead of myself here. Please tell us about Love Not Lost. Yeah, Love Not Lost is a nonprofit organization that I founded, gosh, just over five years ago now. Um, and really, it was inspired by my own journey through the loss of my daughter, Skylar. Mm. And, um, you know, she was diagnosed with a terminal condition when she was just two months old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And um, it was really devastating. And, we had a friend gift us a portrait session and other people just really show up to love us well during that time. I mean, we also had friends who just disappeared too, cause they didn't know what to do or what to say. Right. But, um, but yeah, that, that photo session really helped me um, process grief and just be present once she was gone. So Skylar died at 21 months old um, and I was 27 years old and I was just lost and no one had ever taught me how to grieve. Um, no one had ever taught me how to deal with difficult emotions. And I couldn't believe that I was a grown adult and didn't know these things. And I just felt really failed by the system, right? Like parents, church, school, extracurricular activities. Like how did, how did we miss this? Because loss is something that we all go through. Right. And so... Yeah, so I I just was trying to listen to my body to give myself what I needed in each moment. And those photos were a really helpful tool. So they allowed me to just sit and be with my grief however I needed to be, whether that was, you know, ugly crying with snot pouring out of my face or just um, sitting there and talking to my daughter and telling her how much I missed her. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I think it just created a really safe, sacred space without fear or judgment or expectation that can often come when other people enter the room. And so it really just allowed me the freedom to grieve. And it was really beautiful. And so I wanted to give that gift to others. And that's really what I started doing was volunteering sessions. And my husband was like, I love you and you're giving heart, but you have to stop giving everything away for free. <laughs> um, and I was like, I hear you. Uh, Cause I know we have our own bills to pay and we're not rich. Um, right, right. Comparatively um, to at least American standards. And, uh, and yeah, it was one of those things where I just believe that if I was willing to give it all away, that I could find other people to donate who were willing to help me give it all away. And that's what we did. And that's how love not lost was formed And since then, um, so we still have our photography program giving free portrait sessions and really beautiful handcrafted albums to the families that we serve facing a terminal diagnosis at no cost to them. And then we have community support tools. So we have a website that's called howcanilovebetter.com 
that's an easy way if you know someone going through a hard time to just email them and say, I really want to tangibly show up for you right now. How can I help? Yeah. And it has a checklist with a calendar plugin so they can say, hey, if you could bring me lunch Friday at noon, that'd be awesome. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And we have empathy cards and a couple other tools and resources um, there for community support. And then we're just, well, I say we, we're just launching. We we launched the corporate care program on March 6th, uh, 2020, designed as an in-person workshop. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can imagine that tanked pretty hard. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, just shut down from the start. Um, and then we've actually recorded all of the content to turn it into an online course. And that will be launching this spring, which I'm really excited about. You have a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, our mission, I mean, our mission is to revolutionize the way we heal in grief. Right. And that is something that requires a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I have questions I want to ask you before we get into the uh, the mission and the work of the actual nonprofit, but sure. this photo session you talk about—it uh, yeah. it was the photo session that you had before your daughter died. Yes, mm-hmm. I understand. Okay, and so can you explain to me how does that help with grief? I mean, I, I think it's just not necessarily. Well, two things. One, the photo session was uh, an awareness of like we're doing the session because we don't have time, ah, right? Okay, so. So that's one thing. But then also it was the photo, the, the tangible prints that we had after the session that were the support in the grief. So again, just like when I needed to feel things or grieve, a lot of times when someone comes to support you, they can bring their own fear or their own expectations or their own judgments to the situation. Mm-hmm. Or they can trigger your own fears or your own insecurities or judgments or expectations from within. Right. And so having the photos allowed it to be like a really safe space where you're free from any of those things. I see. Okay. And so you could really just be present with whatever you were feeling without being afraid of anything. Right. Right. And my, you know, and of course everybody's different and we all know that. And, and, and I'm reminded of my own father's dying when there were people who were with us who said, why don't we take a picture to commemorate this? And mm-hmm. everyone in my family is like, no, I don't want to remember this day. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, everyone has a, a different path through grief anyway, but I, I, I think I understand what you're saying with regard to the photo sessions and how they're helpful to others. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, is that, you know, to your point, yeah, they may like they might support different people differently. So, yep. and that that's really what inspired me to keep doing the work and to actually turn it into a nonprofit because every time I would show up for a family, a different story of impact would come out of it as a result. Yeah. So, like, you know, one mom felt validated as a mom on Mother's Day because she didn't have her baby there to hold with her anymore. Oh, but the yeah. photos gave her a way to hold them. Right. Um yeah. You know, I had, um, I photographed a, a guy who was passing away from cancer mm-hmm. and he was a dad, two little kids. And the mom called me and said, oh my gosh, Ashley, this was like months after he had passed. The photo album that you gave us is such a gift because our little girl, like anytime anyone comes over to the house who's new and doesn't know our story, she walks them into the living room and has them sit on the sofa and she grabs the coffee table book. And opens it and, and shares the story of her dad and introduces them to her daddy. Oh my goodness. Wow. So it's like, yeah, like, I mean, I would have never imagined that 
um, that same mom told me later that it was probably seven years after he had died. He was one of the first family or they were the first family I photographed after Skylar died. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was seven, seven years had passed. And she told me that she had actually sent the album on tour. And I was like, what do you mean you sent it on tour? What does that mean? And she was like, well, all of our friends and family are in California and she was in Atlanta. And she was like, so I just sent the book to people so they could pass it around and have their own time with the photos and with Kevin, um, you know, just as, as they needed and, and hopefully they'll send it back. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, if they don't send it back, I'll get you a new one. Um, right, right. but, but that's so beautiful. Like I would have never thought to have done that. And she said that it was really helpful to some of Kevin's friends who like didn't get to see him at the end or, you know, just didn't feel like they had that closure because they couldn't come to Atlanta for the the service. Right. So yeah, it affects everybody differently. And, and sometimes too, when someone dies, like the first thing you want to do is, is look at a photo because it helps bring them close. Yep. And then, you know, Skylar died almost 10 years ago. And so for me, you know, even now, like I'm, there are still layers to grief that I'll always be processing. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but the, now like the photos are just such a source of joy. And mm -hmm. so they, they bring healing in that way too, of just keeping them close. Right. You said something at the top of the episode, which I wanted to touch on, which was mm -hmm. that, you know, culturally, you know, you, you were an adult who had no understanding of how to process this, this, this heaviness of grief, but, you know, culturally as a culture, Western culture in particular, we, we tend to run away from grief. You know, we, oh, we, we live in a culture that celebrates the birth ritual with all kinds of pomp and circumstance. <laughs> and you can go to the store and there's, there's all kinds of things that are meant to celebrate babies. And yep. And then, you know, the, the, there's, there's culturally speaking, we, we all shy away from grief, which is maybe why some of your friends just disappeared. Oh, totally. Um, but, mm -hmm. but how, how do we move away from that? How do we, you know, one of the things you mentioned in your notes to me in the beginning was creating cultures of caring. How do we create a culture that doesn't run away from grief anymore? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think there are lots of different answers to that. And I, you know, we're working on several of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so the first is just giving people encouragement, whether that's, you know, an actual tangible tool like the howcanilloveyoubetter.com um, or, or just encouragement to show up that they don't have to fix anything. It's not their job to make it better. Um, and I think so often people don't show up because they're like, well, well I can't do anything. Yeah. But it's like, you don't have to do anything all you have to do is show up and love someone and that can just be sitting beside them or just sending them a note that lets them know that you're thinking about them or that you care. Um, and really the cultures of caring too, like um, specifically we're working on that in a, in a workplace setting with our corporate care program, because so often, and I think in the past, you know, bunch of decades, it was very, strict that, you know, you don't bring emotions to the workplace. It's like work and personal life were very separate. But when someone's world comes crashing down, like you can't compartmentalize that. Like it takes over your whole life. And so you're going to bring that wherever you go. Right. And that's like the, the part where I think business leaders have just missed the mark so far is they have such an opportunity to impact the lives of their employees who are working for them and giving their lives to this company. 
Um, and there's such an opportunity to care for people when they're going through tough times in a way that will actually create like a super employee on the other side where mm -hmm. someone's going to be, you know, so much healthier and so much more loyal um, when a company does have that culture of caring. Right. So, you know, here I am trying to boil this down into something a little more compact just for my own brain's sake, but you're, I think you're talking about making it okay for people to feel and, mm -hmm. and, and a business leader, I mean, it, you know, we're all human. Why are we so afraid to feel? Why is it so hard for us to grasp the idea that, that emoting in public is bad? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You bring, yeah, that's an excellent point. And I think, so there are a couple of things to, to get more direct with that. Um, first of all, I think we need to have more conversations like this one where we just are okay talking about it. Yeah. Um, like just normalizing grief. Like this is something we all go through. And um, I think the second thing is normalizing emotions, just like you said. Um, you know, I think so often when men show emotion in American culture, that's seen as weak. And that's just been a cultural thing that society has somehow, I don't know, it's like a combination of like Hollywood and advertisements and, um, you know, the the wartime of just suck it up and go on or whatever it is that created this this norm for us but it's devastating because i know so many men who are just wrecked inside and they've tried to keep it stuffed down for so long and they don't feel like they have permission to feel right. and that's devastating because if you can't feel it you won't heal it right. and so you have all these men who are just hurting inside and not showing it at all and don't know how to talk about it or who to reach out to for help. So that's one thing. And then with women too, the opposite is true. It's like where, you know, where we get um, like criticized if we feel too much. So it's like, oh, you know, like either we're told we're too much or we get criticized like, oh, you're, you're over dramatizing it or right. you're overreacting. And it's like, no, I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling my feelings and you're just not comfortable with them. And I think there is a healthy way to feel things and a healthy way to express things. And I'm sure you can speak more to that for, with your background, but I think there's, um, yeah, just, just the, the normalization of, of grief and loss and feeling all the feelings, um, I think is, is really the place where we need to start. Right. I mean, I, I know what I tell my teams when it comes to this kind of thing, but how would you do it? If, what would you advise me if I were, you know, one of these folks who's just is sort of blissfully unaware that it's okay to feel and, and has grown up in an environment where we just don't talk about those things, not because we are trying to avoid them, but just because it's what we've always done. How, how would you tell me as that person to better support my team in times of grief? From a place where you're not okay feeling, just to clarify? Yeah, how do I change that culture for myself so I can change it for my organization? Because I, I suspect yeah. I suspect also that it's not just grief that being able to talk in, in, in uh, that being able to change that one dynamic uh, can help out with multiple kinds of stress, not just grief. Oh, sure, yeah, and I I think you you bring up another really good point where you know a lot of this creating cultures of caring or helping other people it starts with our own work. And it starts with processing our own wounds and pains and traumas from our past so that we can be healthy individuals that hold space for others who are hurting. And, you know, to give advice to someone who, 
you know, maybe isn't comfortable with feeling, but wants to create this type of environment for their office, I think um, I would encourage them, one, to just, if, if you know, money allows, <clears throat> excuse me, if resources allow, to just find a counselor that they feel comfortable talking to who can encourage them on their journey of normalizing conversation around feelings. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a really safe place to do it because you're paying someone not to talk about you or judge you or, you know, like they, they have these privacy rules. So it's, it's a really safe space to do that. Right. Cause I know it can be lonely at the top or you, you know, are worried about leading people or having other people judge you. And I think in larger companies as well, HR departments actually do more harm than good when they, when they don't want people to walk out of a meeting feeling Mm -hmm. emotionally damaged in some way. Yeah. And I think that does us a huge disservice when you, when you create that, uh, when you create that environment just for the want of trying to avoid, you know, Mm -hmm. someone, someone, you don't want someone to come around later on to say, this is a hostile work environment because I can't talk about my, my husband anymore, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, um, I would encourage someone to do is to get into the practice and, and find whatever resonates most with you as far as like the type and the people who lead it and whatever, but, um, getting into a practice of self-awareness meditations. So, um, like I've, I've experienced this with different retreats and different Reiki guides and, um, you know, counselors, uh, EMDR therapists, but doing really, um, like a deep look into your own past and your own current feelings, Mm -hmm. um, to have that mindfulness and awareness, because part of it is like when we've, when we've been, programmed to avoid our feelings, they feel threatening when we feel them. Mm-hmm. And so we have to find a way ourselves to feel really safe with our emotions, even when they're scary. And so that mindfulness and meditation work can be really helpful in giving ourselves our, our support that we need to, to, to dig into those feelings. Okay. I know this is a hard thing for a lot of people to continue to talk about. And, uh, and I can imagine that, you know, uh, you know, how do you, how do you shift gears to, uh, to change a culture that makes it okay for people to talk about their stuff? I know that's not an easy thing for leaders to do. Um, the, the last thing that you wrote here is the, the one I wanted to touch on before we wrap the episode was, mm-hmm. was how do you, what is, what does it mean to be choosing love over fear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a, it's a really deep point. And I know we, we're yeah. on time, so it's going to be a little challenging, Sure, um, but I'll do my best. So I really believe that every single decision comes down to love or fear. And I think it's something that um, we, if, if we can practice being aware of, it can really help us guide our decision-making to be more, I mean, loving, obviously, if we're choosing love, but honestly, like just more human. Mm -hmm. So for example, a lot of my friends disappeared because they were afraid. They were afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. They were afraid of offending me. They were afraid of facing their own mortality or their own fears of death. They were afraid of so many other things, right? We can list things all day. Sure. So, but my, the friends who showed up for us, those friends pushed their fear aside. Like, I'm sure that they still had fear. 
And fear is, is a part of our human experience. Like we have fear because of the way our brain is wired to survive. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we should completely avoid fear, but if we can acknowledge fear and listen to it more as information, instead of letting it take control, we will be in a much healthier place to actually show up and love people instead of letting fear control our lives, which ultimately doesn't lead to anything good relationally. Right. So when we have fear, oftentimes that can, um, like when we make decisions of fear, sometimes that can bring on other negative emotions too. And when we talk about choosing love over fear, it's a, it's a really complex thing because there are times where fear will disguise itself as love. And so you can actually think that you're choosing something in fear, but when you really get down to the, or I'm sorry, you think you are choosing something in love, but when you really get down to the root of it, it's still fear. We can rationalize the heck out of anything. Oh, right. Right. So, so it's, again, that's kind of like where the self-awareness piece ties in and, and truly being honest and vulnerable with yourself and saying, okay, why, like, keep asking the whys, like, why do I feel this way? Why am I making this decision? why behind that, like, and, and keep diving into yep. the root of it. Um, because there have been times where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing this thing because it's loving. And then I'm like, actually, no, I'm just afraid of stirring the pot and making people hate me. And so I'm doing this thing that I thought was loving, but it's actually still based in fear. Right. Actually, I know we could talk about this forever, but we have run out of time. Um, if a listener wanted to be in touch with you to learn more about the process or to learn more about resources and how they can change their cultures, uh, their organizational cultures, how would you suggest they get in touch with you? Great question. Our website is lovenotlost.org. Um, so people can jump on there and check out resources. Um, we have a contact page there that will get to me. Um, if you want to reach out social media, our handles across all platforms is at lovenotlost.org. Um, and yeah, we're active on a lot of different platforms. We'd love to hear from you. I always love connecting with people, especially podcast listeners. That's super fun. Um, so please reach out. I would like, you can send me a DM on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Um, LinkedIn, Ashley Jones on LinkedIn with love, not lost. You can search for me. Um, but yeah, please reach out. I'd love to connect. I love, I love meeting new people. Thank you, Ashley. I, I know you're busy. You, you, you know, you do have a lot going on, but I really appreciate you taking the time to make this episode with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, thank you as always for joining us. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating via whatever mechanism you use to listen to the Snapcast. Your five-star ratings make us more findable by search engines, and we are grateful to you for helping us grow our audience. In the meantime, we'll see you with another episode in a few days. This has been the Snapcast. Thank you for joining us. 